business and bourbon. Nick is a really smart guy because they don't let dummies into Cornell. Well, actually, I got in because I could run fast, man. I got in because I was in track and field. I'm a fan of bourbon. I was born in Southern Indiana. Right there near the Bourbon Trail. Honest talk with smashing dishes in the background. That's what geeks us up. I'm up on the stage <laughs> rapping Palmdale by Afro Man. Business and bourbon, man. You can influence a lot more than you think you can influence. Yeah. You have dropped three massive gems <laughs> in a short period of time. I was crying, man. Mm -hmm. I was laying on my hands and knees on the street. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? If you have not had a good cry multiple times <laughs> in your entrepreneur journey, you're not an entrepreneur. You're looking at the worst case scenario and it's not so bad, man. It's not so bad. Not so bad. Not so bad. Not so bad. Welcome back to Business and Bourbon, where we have real talk with real people real drinks and a real bar and everything is real i'm ronnell richards i'm the creator and your host it gives me such joy to sit down with entrepreneurs and do what i do and it's humbling and super entertaining i mean i love stories and i love to share stories and like a lot of you i love to hear a good entrepreneur's porn story every now and then right which is you know those stories where you know put yourself up by your bootstraps and made something out of nothing but for those of you that listen to my podcast, you know those aren't real, right? Those are just stories. Well, I've got someone that I invited him to my podcast this week, Nick Huber. And you know what? At Surface, it sounds like he's got one of those entrepreneur porn stories. This guy started a business while still in college with his co-captain teammate. And years later, they're a huge success. They're in nine different states. This guy's a all-american athlete at cornell university if you've heard of it it's pretty prestigious it sounds like one of those stories right no he just worked harder than everybody and made it happen or did he well that's why you listen to business and bourbon because we're going to give you real talk we're going to give you real dope and so i invited nick huber onto the podcast where he shares his story and i think you guys are going to be surprised decisions that a lot of you guys out there are making on a daily basis that are getting in the way of your success. And he just chose to make great decisions. And I won't steal his thunder, but he's a Cornell guy, but doesn't consider himself to be super smart. He just was smart enough to make the right decisions, which at the end of the day, that's what a lot of us do. But I think he's pretty smart. I think you guys will agree. So with that said, it's time to go. Let's go ahead and grab your glass, your cup, your mug. For Nick, maybe it's his Cornell mug. I don't know. <laughs> Put whatever you like to drink in there. And let's sit down, pull up a chair next to us at the bar here and enjoy a little business and bourbon. Welcome back to business and bourbon, where we have real talk with real people. And we do it while enjoying some delicious real drinks. I am back here at, oh, who am I? I'm Ronnell Richards. Let me make sure you guys know that. They know in you case by you your haven't sweet voice. <laughs> in case they haven't listened, this is Ronnell. And yeah, we're here at the King and Duke in Buckhead, Atlanta, another beautiful, hot end of summer day. And uh, just had a great visit with some fans of the show, which was amazing. Uh, as you guys know, we shoot our podcast live and direct because we want to make sure that you get the very best, most authentic experience from entrepreneurs and business professionals just like you. But as we were setting up, 
we were greeted by uh, about a half a dozen policymakers here in the city of Atlanta, which was super cool that let, let me know that they support what it is that we've been doing and what we're going to be continuing to do here at Business and Bourbon. So shout out to those guys. All that said, it's time to introduce today's guest. This guy, I'm going to call him the Storage King. Yeah, I like that. The Storage King. I got Nick Huber, entrepreneur, super tall. He's, he's a little bit taller than me, so I'm feeling some kind of way about that. But uh, super entrepreneur is going to join us and, and share some real wisdom with you guys. Nick, what, what's happening? How you doing, man? I'm doing great right now. Thanks for having me. Are man. you ready for this? I'm ready. I think I'm energized, man. Dude, you told me before this that you are just, <laughs> you're ready to share and let it happen. So, dude, I don't know if you know what you're getting into. I've been through the trenches, man. That's my man. That's what I'm talking <laughs> about. So, Nick, real quick, introduce yourself to the audience. Tell them a little bit about your business, what it is that you do. Yeah, thanks, Ronnell. Thanks for having me and thanks for all the work that you do. Yeah, I've been through a lot, man. It's a short journey of entrepreneurship and over the past eight years that feels like a lifetime or two lifetimes. While I was in college, I started a pickup and delivery storage business called Storage Squad. We do student storage. So when the students go home for the summer, we would show up in trucks before they left. We'd pick it all up, store it in warehouses. And then when they came back, we would take it back to them. My partner, Dan, and I went full-time in that business after we graduated from Cornell in upstate New York. Oh, uh, lived all over the. Oh, you ever heard hold of it? On. <laughs> hold on, Andy, Andy, Andy Bernard. Yeah, that's Andy me. You Bernard. Ever heard of it? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> so, for those of you that are not familiar with one of the most successful comedic franchises in recent history, which is The Office, there is a character by the name of Andy Bernard. <laughs> Andy Bernard, and he famously <laughs> went to Cornell, and let's say everybody <laughs> know. So that tells you Nick is a really smart guy because they don't let dummies into Cornell. Well, actually, I got in because I could run fast, man. I got <laughs> in because I was in track and field. I think I had the lowest SAT of anybody to get in that school. Nice. But I made the best of it, man. Started a business when I was there. It's been my whole life, man. Since about 2016, we got up to 10,000 customers a year, about $3 million a year in sales. A staff around us, we were finally growing a business that we were proud of. And then I kind of stepped away to do self-storage. And that's kind of my new venture is to develop and purchase self-storage facilities. It's just kind of getting started. It's in its infancy. But yeah, that's what I'm focusing on right now. We have a couple couple of properties up in New York. I've heard great things about that business. It is, it's a good business, but the thing is it's it's a long-term game. You know, mm-hmm. when you build a self-storage facility from the concept to making any cash flow at all is three years best case. So you're investing, in our case, about $2.5 million and we Took a year and a half to build it. We're two and a half years into leasing it up, and we're still only at about 70%. So it's a long-term game. But I like long-term games. I'm a long-term kind of guy. Well, you know what? If you're talking about being successful in business, like that's really what it's about. Anything that is too short is usually too good to be true, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not going to help you or set you up for that long-term success that we're all after. Because, yeah, it's nice to get some quick money. Everybody loves that. But at the end of the day, do you want to make quick money or you want to make long money? You want to be making money here, 10, 15, 20, generational money. I don't know about you, but for me, um, I want my kids to be in a better position than I was, Absolutely. right? And that's I think that's the goal of, of every parent, right? Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing. That's super dope. I really want to get into how you started in college. We're grinding, yeah. That's, no money. What's, no, that's no what's up, man. I love that. Before we get into that, it's business and bourbon, man. So- what are you drinking? 
Dude, I'm a fan of bourbon. I was born in Southern Indiana, right near the bourbon trail. My dad is a bourbon guy. He's always had five or six bottles around to try and taste. Uh Um, Buffalo Trace is my go-to, man. It's Uh, it's one of those middle tier, mm -hmm. smooth bourbons. Don't get me wrong. I love the Blantons. I love, you know, the high-end stuff, but I'll pick Buffalo Trace up and I'm You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that, man. And you can get it damn near anywhere. Absolutely. (laughs) So So for me, I am drinking what is called a have, have not. Have and have, have and have not. Something like that. Have and have not. But it is so beautiful. Isn't that pretty? Specialty cocktail right there. Yeah, man. And for those of you that will be watching this on video, you will see how beautiful this drink is. It's kind of like, what color is that? Because I like, you know, it looks like a Manhattan. It looks like it's got some bitters It does kind of look like a Manhattan, but it is not. It's kind of peachy and frothy. Maybe no, some frothy, yes, but it's delicious. Mm-hmm. I don't ask them for all the details. <laughs> just I say, just make me something dope and it I drink like it. tastes like bourbon. Yeah, yeah it's good. Um, let's clink it up. There it is. Good sound and a little sip. Hold on, guys. So let's bring it back real quick. I want to talk about starting in college because I've got a lot of guys out there and a lot of girls that um, are either at that age that listen to the show or that are parents. And I think a lot of us, man, probably a whole lot more of my audience are parents. Either the kids are little or they're going to college, they're in they're in high, whatever. They're, they're somewhere in between. <laughs> I was just born and in college. All right. That being said, I get questions a lot about, hey, what do you do in terms of to kind of instill those entrepreneur values and kind of give your kids a head start? And, and so that they're thinking about being bosses and doing those things that it takes to be successful in entrepreneurship. So I want to get into your story real quick as it relates to that, because you're doing something that not a lot of college students are doing, like created a business and a successful business. There's a lot of college students that do little side hustles, but to create a business is a whole nother story. So my first question to you is, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial household? Was this something that was instilled in you at a young age? Yeah. So my dad taught me two things. He taught me how to work really, really hard. And he taught me how to be resourceful. When I would come to my dad with a question and say, dad, you know, I'm having a problem here. Can you help me? He would never quite help me. He would more like ask me follow-up questions and make me figure it out. Yeah. Right? And, and that kind of just made me learn how to solve my own problems and kind of look at problems. Because in school, right, we're taught to look at a book and the answer's on the page before it and memorize it and all the answers are there for you. Yes. And so I was really lucky to have a dad who kind of instilled in me, okay, you're not going to have the answers in life. You're not going to have the answers in business, especially if you want to do things that not everybody else is doing. So figured out. So you know what I love about that is what your dad was instilling in you or rather teaching you was how to become wise. He was okay. He's teaching you how to um, be someone that, that, that has judgment based upon wisdom and not just knowledge. Cause what you just, or book knowledge, cause what you just talked about is typically we'll read a book, right? You read a book and you have the knowledge from the book. Okay. And I'm smart because I know what the book told me to do, but Actually having to source the information and having to act on it yourself is so much more powerful of a learning tool. Mm -hmm. And I think key for entrepreneurs. So one big thing to take away from that for parents out there is like, man, make your kids figure it out. Make your Mm -hmm. kids figure that shit out. Mm -hmm. Right. Because that's the skill set that's going to put them ahead of the game as they get older and they're in the professional world or maybe they want to be an entrepreneur being resourceful. If we're talking about, you know, if I'm Superman, let say I'm Superman, right? If I'm Superman, that's one of my um, superpowers, right? It's like I got 
that uh, laser vision and resourcefulness. And mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> I think it's a great one. So what else? Tell me a little more about that journey. Tell me a little bit more about your upbringing. So your dad really focused on... Well, I, had, I was a lawn care guy, started a lawn care business. And it wasn't just a small lawn care business. My dad's work had owned several commercial properties. And the guy that mowed those properties had a heart attack. He was okay. But his doctor basically said, you got to stop mowing this grass. So my dad goes into work one day. The owner of his company says, Tim, Tim, we got a problem. We got to find somebody to mow all this grass. It's about 13, 14 hours a week of work. We don't really know what to do. So he volunteered his seventh grade son <laughs> nice. to do all this. And it was in the middle of July in Indiana, 95 degrees. It's only like two or three degrees cooler than Atlanta, right? It's hot. Yeah. And um, put me out there on the mower just to figure this stuff out, right? And the very first day, I was, it was 95 and sunny. And I was used to mowing my own lawn back home where you just mow and you're done. Mm -hmm. But here, if you know anything about commercial properties, you got to pick up a lot of trash first. There's 60, 70 pieces of trash in every lawn. I just chopped all that stuff up, threw it all over <laughs> oh, everywhere. No. So literally, it looked like the snow had fallen <laughs> on these properties. So my dad drives by, and because he, he was curious how his seventh grade son was doing. My mom was in a truck driving me. Well, before all that, he set me down at the kitchen table and was like, Nick, we're going to lease you the truck. We're going to lease you the mower. We're going to lease you the trailer. This is your expenses. This is how much you charge. And he like, kind of taught me the basics of business, which I was so blessed for. But that day when he drove by, he stopped, he pulls me out the mower. He goes, Nick, 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 you got a big problem. Look at all this trash. We can't have this. I was a seventh grader. I was a, little, I was a baby. <laughs> so I was crying. I was all upset. I was like, I quit, Dad. I'm not doing this. He pulled me aside. He put a, put a wet towel on the back of my neck. And he said, you're not quitting. You're finishing it. You're going to figure this out. And he kind of babied me along, gave me many of his pep talks. But that kind of set me up to look at problems as, okay, I can figure this out. Uh, yes. So when you're faced with a problem, you're thinking, okay, what's the solution? Because yeah. I think that's... I want to pause on that because I think that that applies to so many of us. We get hit with that obstacle and it's like, ah, big stop sign. And, you know, I was having this conversation the other day and um, who was I talking about? I don't know, but you, you'll, whoever it was, you'll remember. <laughs> I was having this conversation. We we're just talking about how obstacles are. And this is a Bruce Lee. Pop. Oh, it was Randy, Randy Ramirez. So, um, when you're faced with an obstacle, it's kind of like that rock in the middle of the river, right? Like the river doesn't stop. You just have to, you just move around it, right? You got to find a way to get around it. And I think that is another skill that's so important for us to develop as business professionals, as entrepreneurs, is how do we look at those obstacles? Do we look at it as like, okay, that's a reason to stop? Or do we look at it as like, okay, let me evaluate this and let me find either a solution to this or the opportunity that's presenting itself because of that obstacle. Yeah, and I think you can take that even a step further. And when you look at a problem, it's very easy to just say, oh, you know, I can't do much about that problem. But if you really kind of dive in and go deeper on the problems, you can influence a lot more than you think you can influence. Yeah. Like later on in business, when we were building Storage Squad, we were having a ton of problems with our employees. We were running a service business. Our employees were struggling and they kept not showing up for work. And it was very easy to do what most business owners do and just say, our employees are the reason. Like it's their fault. Like we can't find good employees and blame them and blame the circumstances and blame whatever. But when we said, okay, what about this? Can we actually influence? What about the, the fact that our employees aren't showing up and they're not reliable? Can we actually influence? And maybe they don't want to get a text message the night before that their shift is on the next day. Maybe mm -hmm. they want to get everything hand, you know, organized for them to do well on the job. So we started just doing things to try to make their job a little simpler and a little bit less on their plate and take things off their plate. And that allowed them to also be resourceful. They Man, can solve some problems. Nick, you have dropped just three massive gems <laughs> in a short period of time. So that's a huge one because, you know, what we do a lot as leaders and as entrepreneurs that have employees, 
is a lot of times people are pointing outwards. They're, when there's an issue, they're like they're looking at the employee. They're pointing at the employee and they're not looking at looking at it this way, which is the way that I've always tried to run my businesses is what can I do? It is my responsibility to make you successful. So if you are a failure, I'm a failure. Take all the what blame. What am I not doing yep. to make you successful? Don't get me wrong. Sometimes people are duds and just doesn't work. But your first process should be, am I doing everything that I should be doing to support that person and to make them successful? And, and one thing about successive employees, especially in small business, it's not one size fits all people. Don't You can't just plug employee, you plug here, and they're all going to have no. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in a small business environment, you really have to look at them as individuals and you need to figure out the recipe to make that individual successful because it's different with all Wouldn't you my, agree? Yeah, my partner and I hold each other accountable. Like he'll call me and he'll say, Nick, how's it going? I'll be like, well, this is going wrong. That's going wrong. This is going wrong. This employee didn't show up. And I'll say, and it's my fault. Partner. And it's my fault. How's that been? It's been amazing, man. I got lucky. I think partners. Hell yeah, you got lucky. Partnerships tear apart so many, so many businesses. But I got lucky with a partner that is a lot different than me personality wise but also extremely competent, extremely driven. And we have the same moral compass. We're, we're rowing the boat the same way. The only difference is he's the one steering the boat and I'm the one in the back throwing coal on the engine. Just let's go full speed ahead. Were you guys friends before business? We were uh, best friends. He was the best man at my wedding. He was the co-captain on the track team with me when we were doing track and field. Yeah, partnerships are really, really hard though. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, I'm sure you know. Everybody, everybody who has been in business long enough knows that if you can deal with people well and you can talk to people and you can communicate well and you can outline expectations really well, then you're more likely. Well, partnerships are marriages, man. It's a marriage. So you said he was the best man at your wedding. That's because he's your second (laughs) husband or whatever. Like, yo, it's, it's, it's serious. And so let's talk about that a little bit in your experience in partnership. Why has your partnership worked so well? Yeah, I think any partnership, and we've had some partnerships that didn't go well. Any partnership can be boiled down. If there's a problem with a partnership, it's one of two things. It's a moral thing, and somebody's literally trying to rip you off and do things behind your back, or it's a value, like bringing to the value. Any problem that you're having with partners can be attributed to one of those two things. Either the value's off, you're not bringing equal things to the table, yeah. or the character's yeah, off. Yes. So if you try to get to the bottom of which two it is and find each other's strengths, find out what each other is good at, Obviously, we got lucky that our morals are the same. Like, I can mm-hmm. trust him with my bank account. I can trust him with my whole life is in this yeah. business, right? So I found somebody that, I can trust. That's, that's something part. that people don't know sometimes until mm-hmm. you expose it. Maybe. And we're, we're so good at communicating our expectations. Like, we play the what-if game all the time. Danny, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? And these are hard things. Like, these are things you don't want to talk about. So you guys were track teammates. We were. At Cornell. You ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you run? Um, I was a decathlete. Whoa. I, okay. You just gained, you just gained a whole bunch of, uh, well, I was a jack of all trades and a master of none. But th- Yes. Well, I've always liked to think that, Hey, if I had the discipline that it took to be a, a great collegiate athlete, which I did not, maybe some of the athletic ability, but not the discipline. <laughs> that's what I would have been because I've always been kind of good at a bunch of stuff, but not great in anything. But I love decathletes, man. Like, Wow, what a great... I was a curious dude. I was really interested in the learning process. So if I was just doing the 100-meter dash over and over again for four years in college, that would get pretty old, right? One foot yeah. in front of the other. I mean, it, I'm oversimplifying it. Nothing against the 100-meter dash runners. If I was struggling with the pole vault one day, I would go over and throw discus. And if I was struggling with discus, I'd go over and run hurdles and kind of find a way to 
just always you know, what great training for business man for life, yeah. what yeah. great training for business we talk about resourcefulness maybe that was your dad's plan because that's the catholic that's what you are i mean you are trying to be great at many different disciplines and see so a lot of people struggle with that amazing sprinter but it will be tough for them to go throw the shot put or throw a javelin the thing or something. about the Catholic, it's a head game. It's a head game because the people who can do a bad event, it's just like golf, yeah. right? If you have a bad hole in golf, you find out how good the golfer is by how they do on the next hole. Mm-hmm. Same with the Catholics. And it wasn't my whole life. I had other things that I was interested in. So I could shake it off if I had a bad meet or something like that. So that actually led to a lot of my success. So, so which leads me to a really, really important question. I want to make sure that I've got your serious face going right now. Do you think you can beat me in a race? Right now? Yeah, right now. Let's I think I would pull my hamstring about five minutes, five <laughs> seconds into the race. Well, And you know what? And about two seconds before you did, I would. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd both be laying down. Stretchers would be coming out. You know what? When you get out of that stuff, you forget. It is so hard. It's really it? hard like, on your body, yeah. Um, I actually, because I like sprinting. I'm serious about my fitness. Anyway, I like to do HIT training. And part of HIT training is running sprints. Except my sprints, I feel, are probably about 40% of what they were. 15. Yeah, they don't what make a, you sore for a week, too. What like a sprint is. A and, and a lot of it is because I pull muscles. Like, literally, I pull the hamstring. I pull the quad just trying to work out. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, <laughs> so yeah, you, you'd beat me. I'm sure you would. So, let's fast forward, man. The partnership is going well. Mm-hmm. We were but, bootstrapping. We were grinding. What does that mean to you when you say your bootstrap? Because to me, for some people, that may be like, oh, that just means we were going out three yeah. nights a week. What does it mean to you? <laughs> so to me, bootstrapping was the, was the way that we funded our business. And that was ourselves with our labor, with our sweat. We were the ones carrying the heavy boxes up the circle staircases you know, in the evenings. We bought a $1,500 van on Craigslist to run the business. We took out a little bit of extra student loan money. And we just worked man we were working our butt off that was the first three years of the business was doing as much as we possibly could so those first three years so tell me about all the investors that you had you it was me and danny and uh, whoever gave us our student loans i guess oh you, what do you mean you mean you didn't have i mean but sure, surely you had your business plan and you presented it to these investors and these investors i'll tell you they the bu- gave you this, this a bunch is, of money this right is the business plan so i had an apartment listed on craigslist somebody called me and said nick i don't want to rent your apartment over the summer because there's tons of apartments open in my college town over the summer because no one's going to be there and they said i want to store my stuff in there but i don't have a car can you come pick it up and i said yes that's the business plan and i ran up there i got their stuff i said 150 bucks i'll store it put it in my apartment no website no business no anything made 150 dollars first it's the first thing we did and we're like okay there's a business for this so i went out to all my friends networked all over campus showing up at fraternity houses during their meetings and saying, I'm your storage guy. And I'd give them all flyers. Next thing I knew, my entire room was packed to the brim where I could not even step inside yeah. the room, locked the door. And that's when I went to my partner, Danny's apartment, because his house had a basement, a big old basement <laughs> and his car. I drove a 1999 Cadillac DeVille that I bought from my grandma. Yes. He drove a 97 Buick LeSabre, which was bigger than mine. Yeah. So I was like, match made in heaven. Let's rock and roll. He got all excited. <laughs> we were running around all over campus dropping off, picking up boxes, dropping off boxes. And by the end of that week, I remember being at the Ivy League championships right before getting in the blocks for the hurdles and getting customer service calls and saying, thanks for calling Storage Squad. This is Nick. How can I help you today? And I would schedule the appointment. And then I'd go run the race and come back and and sit in finals and then get out of finals to six missed calls from customers. Wow. So at the end of the week, we had, say, three or five grand cash sitting on our bed. And we're like, okay, that was fun. Mm -hmm. That was fun. 
let's, let's try to make something of this. Man, I love that. The reason I wanted to ask you that in terms of the investment and everything, because one of the questions that I get all the time, all the time, and I know you hear this too, because you've got an awesome podcast too, by the way, and we'll plug it before we finish this. All the time, people are always asking me about investment. Always asking me about investors. How do you get investors? How do you get investment? How do you... And here's the reality, people. Um, investors care about one thing, making money. They don't care about your dream. You have a great dream and you've got a, they don't give a shit about your dream. What they care about is how can I make my money? I want to make my money back fast and I want to either make it back fast or if it's going to be longer term, I want to have a big stake in something that's going to be massive, mm -hmm. right? And so your story, I love because that is what most successful entrepreneurs are doing and have done. Yes, the ones you will read in some magazine about the one that go, oh, I got this money from Amazon or I got this money. But shit, most of us don't get that. You know what we do? We find money however we can find money. And it usually comes out of, like in your case, student loan, repurposing your Work. student your loan. Sweat, man. It was sweat. <laughs> your sweat equity, your credit cards, whatever. And so that's one of the first pieces of advice I give someone that asks me about getting an um, investment. I say, well, how much have you invested? Because if you're not willing to put all of your shit on the line, if you haven't put all of your skin in the game, how can you possibly ask someone else to do it? You know? But anyway, I love that story of startup and in college. That's pretty dope. I'll do my rant about entrepreneurship culture if you want a little three-minute rant. Do I want it? Oh, man. Go. You walk up to somebody on the street and you say, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? And they'll say, Shark Tank. They'll say, new idea. They'll say, oh, I thought of that. They'll say, Steve Jobs. They'll say, Mark Zuckerberg. They'll say, Silicon Valley. And when you and I look around at the wealthiest people that we know, at the mm -hmm. people who, and I, when I say wealth, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about they have their time. They're doing what they want to be doing. There it is. Yeah. They didn't have new ideas, man. They didn't have new ideas. Yeah. They didn't have new product inventions. They didn't have venture capital funding. Mm -hmm. They were doing the same stuff that normal average Joes were doing every single day. And they just carved out a little bitty piece of that pie mm -hmm. and they worked. And business is a snowball. As you know, you start somewhere and I started in a hallway loading a heavy box. And the next day, you're on a computer managing somebody who's loading that heavy box. And five years later, you're building a self-storage facility or you know, building a brand or doing something to change the world 10, 20 years later. So everybody thinks they got to have this new idea. Everybody thinks they got to totally quit their job, go all in, invest six months of their life. Look around you. Look around you at what people are paying for every single day. Mm -hmm. Solve one of those problems. Study the businesses that are already out there doing it, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to start a business that's brand new. You're, you're educating the market. You're taking a big risk. You're starting a business that is already operational. The companies are there to study. The people are out there buying it. And you can look and say, oh, I can do this a little bit better. I can carve out my piece of the pie with the initial goal of just not having a nine-to-five job anymore. So, Nick, are you a genius? No, I'm not. Okay, so you know about entrepreneur porn. And everyone listening to this podcast knows about entrepreneur porn because this is what I talk about every day. And entrepreneur porn is all of that stuff that gets us all excited because we can make it overnight. Let me go quit my job tomorrow. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm going to go do it. So on surface, your story sounds like entrepreneur porn, right? Like he was in college. And he just decided to make some money and he made a shitload of money. And now it's into the story. So that's why I love digging into your story and really letting people understand that, like, first of all, it didn't happen overnight for one. And for two, like, 
you're grinding. Being a Division One athlete is hard as shit, okay? I don't care what sport you play. It is hard. You are in most schools, you're a athlete student, right? So you've got your your academic load. You've got your athletic load as I well. I met my wife three months earlier as well. I was building a relationship with Jesus her. Christ, dude. And so now to say, okay, oh, I'm going to start this business and I have to work this business. Like I don't have people to do it. I got to do it. It's a tremendous load and it's a tremendous responsibility. And it's something that quite frankly, most people aren't willing to do. And that's why they didn't have the success that you did. It wasn't because you are, and you're a smart guy. Let's just establish that. You went to Cornell because everyone knows you went to Cornell. But it wasn't just because you're a smart guy. It's because you saw an opportunity and you were willing to bust your ass to make it happen, right or wrong. And I tell you what, man, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, the anxiety early on of am I doing the right thing and sitting down with my dad and saying, I know, dad, you invested all this in me. I know you sent me to an Ivy League school and now I'm going to buy a $1,500 cargo van on Craigslist and move around boxes for a living. <laughs> I mean, try having that conversation. Our friends were making fun of the van that we bought and what we were doing and they're laughing and being like, I give it three months. You know what I mean? What was and your major? It was labor relations, which is um, like a business HR. I mean, it was whatever the Cornell track coach could get me into at Cornell. <laughs> I, you, know, I, you know what I mean? <laughs> but the anxiety of doing that, and nobody realizes that three years in, I'd still not paid myself beyond what I absolutely needed to live. And me and Danny were in a warehouse in Boston. I vividly remember being in a warehouse in Boston, and we were totally overloaded with customers. It's 7 p.m., seven full trucks of student stuff come back to the warehouse. And we have no choice but to send our employees home because we have to have them show up the next day. If they don't show up the next day, our business crumbles. So they leave seven full trucks there at the loading dock for me and Danny. We're sitting on our computer doing customer service. Our phones are ringing off the hook. We're texting employees about the next day's schedule. And we had to unload them ourselves, like seven full trucks of 25 orders of five boxes. So 300 items in each truck that we had to unload into that warehouse. We get done about 3 a.m., Ronnell, and then we look at the customer service inbox. There's 50 unread messages. <laughs> we get down into customer service. And then at 5 a.m., we go to the McDonald's that had just opened up and take a shower with baby wipes so that we don't smell bad in the elevators the next day to service customers. And, I mean, we look back at that, and it's the glory days now. Like, we loved that journey. Oh, my God. Putting that in. That's sexy, dude. But nobody's willing to do that. Nobody nowadays is willing to do that stuff. See, guys like you and like many of you that are listening to this podcast and like myself think that's sexy as hell. Here's why. Because we understand that success is not given, it's earned. So when you're going through that, like, that's what geeks us up. Mm -hmm. Not the BS, mm -hmm. someone flashing money and riding around on Lamborghinis on Instagram, but making that sacrifice because you knew you're making that sacrifice you knew what you were making it for mm -hmm. and so that was exciting when you were in the midst of it mm -hmm. because you knew man i'm onto something and this is going to be awesome mm -hmm. and it turned out to be that way so those sacrifices that we make are what keep us going what gets us going and you know don't get me wrong at some points it sucks it's like our Boy Scout and Girl Scout merit badges. You know, you each badge you earn gets you one closer step to Eagle Scout, right? Mm -hmm. Eagle Scout is success. Mm -hmm. And that's what your story is about. That's what my story is about. And I love hearing that. Now, let's move forward a little bit. Did your college thing. Um, well, before we talk about the success, I want to tell you something that happened the next day. What? Because this is a real talk podcast, man. And Do it. The, like, it's the ups and downs. Like, you're getting excited when you're getting the customers. Sometimes in the day, you're feeling great. But four or five days of two hours sleep a night, 
eventually my employees get tired. And I remember one day where I was running a truck by myself because I had no employees to go with me on this truck. Danny was running a truck by himself and three other employees were out and two of them just left, went home, left the truck sitting on the street in Boston. Another guy literally put diesel fuel in a gasoline engine the same day. So his truck broke down and he's just sitting there. Our trucks are run behind schedules. Customers are calling us. And I had like a mini emotional mental breakdown on the side of the road in Boston. I'm like, what the heck am I doing with my life? Yeah. My friends are working $70,000 a year jobs in the city and they're going out on the weekends. They're having fun. Like they get paid every other Friday. When they go home at five o'clock, they, they leave their job behind. And here I am on a early Sunday morning in Boston having a mental break. I, I was crying, man. Mm -hmm. I was laying on my hands and knees on the street. I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? I wanted to just call my mom and go home, man. That's what I wanted to do. And What'd you do? I called Danny and he pulled me together and he's like, we just got to get through this, man. We just got to get through this. And I drove that truck the rest of the day by myself. We answered all the customer service calls. We got a couple bad reviews and the business was better for it because around that same time, Danny and I realized that putting our time in on that truck was not what we could do anymore. We had to step up and be leaders and be managers and realize that our value and our time needs to be spent in getting more employees, recruiting more employees, training more employees, getting more customers, building the business. That gave me chills, man. And here's why. And I don't give a shit what anyone thinks about this. If you have not had a good cry multiple times <laughs> in your entrepreneur journey, you're not an entrepreneur. I'm just telling you right now. Um, yeah, yep. been there, yep. done that. And fast forward a year later, Danny and I are crying tears of joy in each other's arms because we just got the contract to be the official storage provider at Penn State. That's and we cool. knew that a thousand customers every year were going to be coming to Storage Squad. And, you know, it's just the ups and downs, man. It's an emotional roller coaster. I talk about fear setting all the time where you literally, when you're about to make a big decision in life, you write down what's the absolute worst thing that could happen. The absolute worst. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, you write that on paper and you're looking at the worst case scenario and it's not so bad, man. It's not so bad. That is actually a really great tool, Nick. Mm -hmm. And that is, I'm glad you shared that because that's been a tool of mine forever. You realize okay? your, your like, family's still going to be fed. You're going to be safe. Yes. So real talk, because that's what we do. So for me, that was one of my key coping mechanisms mm -hmm. for building my business it's managing and, that anxiety. and everything, that anxiety right? It's like, I always, well, what's the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. Here's where that eventually gets to, if you're successful, <laughs> when the worst that could happen looks like you're about to fall off a cliff. <laughs> okay. on the, you're, you're on your hands and knees okay. in Boston crying to your mom. Is what so happens. when you built this success, right, you've built this thing. And now you're staring at the prospects of losing that. And you got kids, you got You've been there. a wife. Yes, I have. And now we're like, oh, shit. That coping mechanism, it works. It's great. I used it. And for most of you, it will work. But there's going to come a point. If you're successful as, as you want to be in terms of business and entrepreneurship, and we all want to be, well, you might be faced with that prospect of like, okay, I built this big thing. And I like to use this analogy. Being an entrepreneur is like climbing Mount Everest. We're climbing that shit. And when we're climbing, we're never looking back down. And we got we're a just knife climbing. Yeah, we got a knife. Got a knife. It doesn't matter. A little frostbite. So what? We're climbing. That's all we can think about is getting to the top. And then we get to the top. And then we're faced with the prospect of falling off that mountain. And we look down and we're like, holy shit, this is high. And it's scary as hell. And my advice to folks out there, when you get to that point, and if you get that, because I've been at that point, get help. Therapy. Get a therapist, get someone to talk to, because 
even though it seems far more daunting than it did earlier on, then today, as long as you've got your health and you've got your family and your loved ones, what else matters? Absolutely. Would you agree? Absolutely. Man. You can my always rebuild shit. Yep. You can always rebuild it. So mm-hmm. you are also dating your wife through that period. And you guys are obviously married now. Mm-hmm. You built that business. You've evolved it to now you're getting in more in the storage space and buying and developing those sorts of properties. You got it made. You're done now. You don't have anything to worry about at this point, right? Well, they say, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? And the meaning of my life, I mean, what gets me up every day is for making progress, making a little bit of progress every single day. So I can't stop building. I can't stop thinking five years ahead. I've been doing a lot better lately about balance and about doing things that I like to do and spending more time with my wife. And don't get me wrong. I, it's amazing now. I could work five hours a week and be okay the rest of my life. I would never make it huge, but I don't have to work for anybody in the foreseeable future. But I think once you get that and once you built something, you have that craving to... to so is your risk over? My risk? No, 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 no. <laughs> We're st- I'm ta- I think I'm taking more financial risk than I've ever taken in my life. That's the way it goes, right? Mm-hmm. So um, The stress is definitely never let off. So what do you do to kind of address that? Or what do you do that, that helps you in terms of dealing with the stress, dealing with the things that we have to deal with and the mental health part of it. Man, that's the toughest part. That is the toughest part of, I mean, the phone in your pocket is allowing me to be more productive than I've ever been in my life with this cell phone, but it's also allowing me to not live a normal life. And Mm -hmm. phone addiction is is something that I am really, really, really struggling with right now. Mm -hmm. Struggling with that. Yep. You are not alone. You are not alone because a lot of people are out there. I and me, not so much. (laughs) <laughs> because lucky, I have, man. I got rules, dude. I got to so, set some of those. So I, I went through that process. It started probably 15 years ago where I used to get seriously a little bit ill whenever my phone rang. It was like Pavlov's dogs, right? Like it was like, oh God, what is this? Because my phone rings so much and it usually wasn't good, right? Yeah, you don't get the good calls from the nice customers. You get, you get problems, right? Yeah, the problems that, stop that's with you. it. And so what I had to do, two things. First, I started delegating more and I started setting boundaries and setting rules. Like, here's the thing. You train the people that are around you how to work with you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to answer every single call the minute that I don't have to answer every single email the minute it comes. If people know that you're going to kind of have a certain cadence to the way that you you run your business, the cadence to the way you answer calls, the cadence to the way that you you respond to emails, guess what? They will conform and it doesn't change the service. You're right. You're You're fine. This it's all about how you manage your business. So that's what I started with the phone calls. And then it evolved. I got to a point with emails. This was probably seven or eight years ago where emails were just ridiculous and people were expecting the same sort of things out. I mean, this is what I want people to know is that this is a me problem. This is a you problem. It's not them because you're the one that's training them. So what I did, and this, I love it. This just was a game changer for me as I did an automated message on every single email, every email that came to me had some guidelines. Hey, look, I respond to this type of stuff during this period of time, this type of stuff during this period of time, and just retrained my whole organization, retrained the way that people 
communicated with me. And guess what? There's no drop-off in service. It, it trains the resourcefulness in your employees because then they're forced to solve their own problems and think about things. And Employees and customers. Yep. As I do training of different organizations out there, different entrepreneurs, different sales organizations, I always hear the same thing out of everybody. Everyone, everyone thinks that their customer, anytime their customer reaches, that's DEFCON 5 important. And like, I got to listen, you don't know my business is different. Each customer that calls, the minute they call, the minute they email, it's bullshit. I've been hearing it for years. And not only in my own um, businesses, but again, in other people's businesses, it's just about training people properly. Making someone wait an hour, two hours for a callback is not bad service. What people want is they just want predictability and consistency. And if you can provide that for them, they'll be happy. Manage those expectations. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, you learn very quickly that as soon as you get really good at managing expectations, your stress level goes way down. When you're selling something, Ronell, if you can walk in and say and lay out and people really, really appreciate this because they're not used to it, right? You say, like, these are the drawbacks. This is the risk. And you start out with maybe a deadline that you know you got a week or two padding in there to get that deadline. And you say, this is what we can realistically expect. See, the fun in the salesman, because I have it, you have it, is to be really optimistic and say, this is what we can do. These are all the things we can do for you. And what you do is you're just digging yourself a deeper, deeper hole. As yeah. soon as you can go in with a customer and say, look, this is what we're good at. This is what we're not good at. This is the risk. This is the timeline that we operate on. I've gotten really, really good at managing expectations. You're not constantly trying to turn the world on its head to meet meet deadlines. You know what I like to tell people? Focus on exceeding expectations. And you can't exceed expectations until, one, you you set manageable expectations. Put yourself some buffer in there and exceed it. Like if I go and I tell you, I say, Nick, you know what? I'm going to do this project for you, and it's going to take four weeks. And I know that I'm going to have to bust my ass to make that four weeks happen. Or I say, you know what, Nick? It's going to take me six weeks. And I know that gives me some padding. And, everything. and then I go ahead and deliver in five weeks. Nick, you're stoked. Mm-hmm. You love me. And I think that transfers over to everything in life. Man, You're talking about my relationship with my wife and my business partner. I was managing expectations with them as well. Like I had to get my wife on board with the fact that, yes, I'm going to be lugging boxes up and downstairs for now. And I'm going to be driving around in a in a 1999 Cadillac DeVille for the first five years of my postgraduate life. Mm-hmm. But we're working towards the same goal. And I think everything in life is sales, man. You're a salesman. It's, it's your primary title among your many titles. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to be a salesman. <laughs> Hell yeah. And everything in life is sales. You're selling your friends. You're selling your wife. Mm-hmm. And it's sales has a sleazy connotation, but no, it's not. This is going to be a mutually beneficial relationship for both of us. And these goals that I'm working for, I had to convince my wife that entrepreneurship was a feasible thing. I bet. Like nobody in her family had ever done it. Nobody in my family had ever done it. 999 out of 1,000 people just never give entrepreneurship a shot. So I had to make her trust me. I had to give her the reason to buy in and support me because I knew that if I didn't have her support and if I didn't have my friend's support, Storage Squad never would have been You couldn't just say, because I said so. (laughs) That's right. That's how they used to do in the old days, right? I know. It doesn't work anymore. (laughs) I asked you prior to us sitting down about your favorite artist. (laughs) <laughs> who did you tell me afro man <laughs> you said okay you said afro man and then j cole which j cole mad respect mm-hmm. j cole's amazing mm-hmm. afro man makes me just think you're a massive weed head because they're <laughs> no, <I can't. laughs> you know that's the connotation if you like yeah, afro yeah, man because yeah. that's his thing and doesn't he only have one song 
No, no. So my favorite song by Afro Man is called Palmdale. Have you ever heard the song Palmdale by Afro Man? I have not. Man, I know every single word to it. It's about an eight-minute song. And when karaoke is An on, eight-minute song? Yeah, yeah there's Jesus. four long verses and then a lot of uh, rhythmic uh, uh-huh. music at the end. It's an awesome song. I know every single word. And at karaoke parties, I can literally get the entire place jamming because I'm up on the stage <laughs> rapping Palmdale by Afro Man. Really? Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah, he's, for those of you that don't know, he's known for like one song, at least from my <laughs> standpoint. No, the high song. Because I got high. Because I got high. Well, see, I was in seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, finally getting into music. And for some reason, that's when, that's when Cold 45 and Because I Got High came out. Uh So like, that's what what we were all loving, man. So I just, it's got a special place in my heart. I would never let my kids listen to it right now or my (laughs) my mom or my grandma, but I I think, (laughs) I think that's hilarious, man. As we start to wrap it up right here, I want to cover a couple of things. One one of the things that kind of draws me to you and your entrepreneurship journey and where you're at and, and kind of the successes that you have is also fitness is important to you. Right. Absolutely. Um, you're a cycler. Cyclist. Yeah. That's you correct cycler. me. <laughs> yeah. Hello. See, see, I am not as much of a cyclist. I have a pretty dope bike though. I got a Scott something yeah, or other yeah. that I Those paid a nice. lot of money for, yeah. Yeah. but I don't come out know. to Athens right around. So Athens, one of the reasons why I moved to Athens is cycling hub. It's fitness capital. My wife and I lived in Boston or five years and we were shopping for a house and we're like we cannot afford a house it's going to cost us a million bucks to live yeah. 45 minutes from town the taxes were going to be five you know three grand a month or whatever so we're like what city has a lot of things we like and my wife likes live music i like cycling i like craft beer my wife likes good food and going for hikes and and um athens is kind of like the pro that's cycling. what brought you to athens huh athens wow. is kind of like the pro cycling music scene of the south so and it's an affordable place to live so that's where we ended up it is a great town mm-hmm. um, for those of you that don't know athens UGA, University of Georgia, where it is. Great town. All right. So how's that contributed to your success? Just the, the fitness aspect of it. Yeah, I think it's about balance. And again, I'm not the best at balance because I think to have a personality that lends itself to entrepreneurship, you have to be really intense, right? You got to, I'm all in or all out, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm all in 99.99% or I'm going to pass. And But I have been able to kind of keep that fitness aspect of my life and ride my bike and work out as a basketball player and, and track guy in college, obviously. But I just think it's, it's just such an important to have another outlet. If you put your entire life into one thing, if that one thing fails, you're going to have a, not only a, an identity problem, but it's going to hit you in your soul. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to have another thing that kind of brings you joy. I love how you acknowledged the balance, but also lack of balance. And I think that that is just something that us as entrepreneurs, we develop more as we get older because the younger we are, the more we can put in it and the more we put into it. And as we start to get a little bit older and have whatever things come with that, and I'm just mean families, kids, all that sort of thing, some of that kind of mellows and they help to give us more balance. Those of us that have, you know, kids and families and stuff like that. And those of us that don't find it, try, fight, fight like hell to find it. Because if you don't, it will kill you. It will literally kill you. And you know this. We know this. That drive in us that makes us do whatever it takes to be successful will kill us without having balance. So kudos to you for doing what you can do to kind of keep that balance the best we can. But it's something we have to actively work on. 
right? And your kids, as they get older, will give you more. <laughs> There's no There's a lot of work. It's it. a sacrifice, I got to say. So your kids are? Three weeks old and just turned two years old. That is so awesome. Yeah, Congrats, it's, dude. It's a tough decision to have kids, man. I'm a pro-kid kind of guy because I look at every 50, 60, 70-year-old that I know, and their whole life is their kids and their grandkids. Yeah. So if anybody's on the fence and like, oh, I know it's a sacrifice. It's work. It's expensive. It's a lifestyle change. But it's one of those long-term gains that you talk about as an entrepreneur of the joy that your kids bring you. What would you do without your kids right now? Man, I don't know, dude. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That does lead me to one thing I want to leave people with as a little piece of advice. Those of us that have kids, a lot of times we say that we're doing things for our kids that we are not. What I mean by that is people ask me about success and everything. And I'll hear people say that, yeah, I'm doing that for my kids. I'm doing this for my, I'm working 50 hours, 60 hours for my kids. That's what happens when you're recording live from, <laughs> from work. I want y'all to hear that. There's no studio here. It's me and this cool dude sitting here having real conversation and somebody's going to break dishes behind us. It's all good. No, but the point that I wanted to make is that as we just talked about balance and for those that have the kids and everything, a lot of times people say they're doing things for their kids. They're really not doing for their kids. They're doing for themselves because all your kids want is you. They want you to be present. Um, having a nicer car or having more toys or any of that other shit. Then the day is a guy that's got a 17 and 16 year old right now. I can speak to it a little bit. That shit doesn't matter long term. So I would just say, think about that. That's something I want to leave people with. You're an entrepreneurship you're a business professional, you're out there trying to kick ass and do what it is that we do. Bring some real balance. If you've got those kids, don't, don't forget about your kids, Amazing man. Advice. And what's really important to them. Can I, can I leave with a little thank you and a shout out to the hat? Do it. Yeah. So if anybody wants to learn more about me or kind of learn more about the message of starting a common business and just doing it uncommonly well and building a life for yourself that way, which I so strongly believe in, um, then check out the sweaty startup, sweatystartup.com, a podcast, thesweatystartup.com. But mainly, I just want to say thank you, Ronald, for your, for you're on a mission, man. Be, be, you're on a mission thank to, you, sir. to do some amazing stuff. And you're, I know you're influencing a lot of lives the right way. Thank so, you, sir. But before we wrap, tell yeah. people where they can find you. Websites, yeah, so LinkedIn, you, you send, all that stuff. Yeah, you can send me an email, nick at sweatystartup.com. If you have any questions about business, you want to get some advice. We have a community growing on Reddit, actually. We use that for a forum platform, Sweaty Startup subreddit. But yeah, just type in Sweaty Startup and you'll find a lot. We have a lot of literal business tutorials of some ways that you can start a small local business that's awesome from the ground up so that's awesome make sure you subscribe nick thanks for being on dude you're amazing thanks for sharing thanks for your vulnerability i know that everyone listening appreciates that that's what we're about we want to give the people what they want we want to give you a real honest talk with smashing dishes in the background <laughs> that's what we're about so at this point it's time for us to close out the show. When we close out the show, Nick, we say we... Can I do it? Can I do it? See, because he <laughs> listens to all the shows. So I'm going to say nothing. Nick does it by himself. Nick, on you. Ronnell, thank you so much. And we out. Thank you for listening to the Business and Bourbon Podcast. Please subscribe. And if you like us, give us a five-star rating. If you don't, uh, have another drink. Maybe you'll feel a little bit differently. If you'd like to check out our videos, you can go to businessandbourbon.tv. That's businessandbourbon.tv. In addition to that, we're currently touring the United States with our Business and Bourbon Live show. It's a fantastic show where we do a whiskey education and we do some Q&A and it's a great networking event as well. So 
If you'd like to attend one of our Business and Bourbon live events, you can go to businessandbourbon.live. Again, that's businessandbourbon.live. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you the next time.